Hi, this is Tim Sanders, founder of the Omnia Radiation Balancer. Pretty soon there will be 5G masks going out all around us and we want to make sure that you're giving yourself the best protection on the market. Our solution is unique. We use a new source of energy from the fifth dimension to balance radiation fields on any device, making it safe to use. Our results show that this structures water, it balances the blood and it keeps your body super strong. And yes, it works on 5G. The energy in the patch never runs out, so count up all the radiating devices in your life, stick one on each, and you're done. Click on the link below and you'll soon be bringing balance and strength back to your body. Thank you. Hey guys, you're listening to Journey to Truth podcast, and tonight we are excited to be joined by Corey Good. For those who don't know, which I'm sure most of you do, he's a, known for being a secret space program whistleblower, but he has done so much more uh, for the movement and just the truth of community, uh, movies, you know, all kinds of stuff. He's, and he just recently got back from Experience, Experiencer 2020 conference in Brazil, where he received some new briefings and some updates so we're going to kind of jump into that and see what he has for us uh welcome to the show Corey. thank you uh i appreciate the invitation yeah yeah we've been this is something we've kind of always had on the back of our minds since we started this so it's an honor to have you on and uh, we appreciate it and thank you for coming on and uh I'm, i just want to jump right in i want to hear about brazil how how was that experience uh what was that conference like and then we can jump into the briefings after that well, Experience 2020, if you go to the website, Experience 2020, you can still watch all the streaming videos. Um, we'd been planning it for a year. Uh, I'd been invited for over a year. And the, this whole, all of 2020, the big question has been, will it happen? So, I mean, right when um, I had totally given up, we were at East SETI, where we met you guys and hung out with uh, a number of people. Uh, one of the people that was going to Brazil said, I'm pretty much sure it's not gonna happen. So after that, in my reality, it was pretty much, I had prepared myself, it wasn't gonna happen. So as soon as I got home, I got a call from Fabio, um, the um, one of the organizers, and he said, it's on. And so I packed and tried to prepare as best as I could, traveling during COVID, you know, to you know, the other side of the uh, other, the other hemisphere um, in a, you know, a country that's um, showing high numbers of uh, COVID cases. It was, uh, you know, we were really planning and uh, brought security with me that had traveled to South American countries before, uh, made things very smooth. Um, but it was really weird traveling, um, because my back, I have a back issue. They uh, nice. They were nice enough to get first class for me flying down the ten-hour flight. But uh, I was woken up, you know, two times on the way there and three times on the way back because my mask slipped below the tip of my nose. Yeah, and they wake you up and say, "Put on your mask." And so, and so mm. you know, but other than that, you know, there were very few people. Um, um, you know, because of the uh, public. Um, uh, officials down in Florinopolis. Um, when we arrived, 
uh, Fabio was kind of freaking out because he was told that the conference was not going to happen and, you know, hundreds of people were coming. Um, so a few hundred people arrived and, uh, you know, three to 400 people were there and, uh, we had the pres did all the presentations. And, um, while I was there, um, I was introduced to an individual, very interesting individual, um, who had, um, been, um, uh, most of, I think most of their adult life, I believe was in the military. Um, and they came forward and, um, they had some very interesting information, some, um, that we're, we're trying to verify some things. Um, some of the briefings I got were very, very late at night and the person only, uh, did not speak English. So, um, there was translations going on. It was late at night. Um, but there were, there were a few little Id idiosyncrasies, you know, that we're looking into that, uh, may you know, could, could be chalked up to human error, but some of their information was incredibly accurate stuff that, um, excuse me, that I hadn't, um, shared publicly. They had information about Antarctica, um, that was pretty interesting. Well, the, their story was that they were, uh, recruited because of certain attributes they had out of the military into what we call um, Earth, uh, Earth Command. Command. Earth, Command. Yeah. Earth Command. But that's just kind of a general term for it. It changes names every 10 years. Um, you know, the, the name changes, and it's you know, for operational security as people cycle in and out. The, the complete organization completely changes names. You think it would change even even more frequently than that, but ten yeah. years is a long time. Yeah, and possibly you know if something happens, I would imagine that they would you know, yeah, they're going to make it every ten years. They would speed it up, but that's just my conjecture. Um, so, um, you know, he talked about these uh, incredible um, suits that they wore as soldiers, uh, Earth Force soldiers, and you know, it, it, Earth. The Earth um, Command uh, that we're calling it is they just handle things on Earth. They're not, you know, normally going to be taken to Mars, you know, or on spaceships out to fight. They're handling things that occur here, like uh, crash retrievals. Um, he has a number of very interesting crash retrieval stories that uh, uh, we're going to bring, you know, more and more information out. I. I can't remember all the details right now. It's, it was so much. He described the, uh, the craft in Brazil and other places uh, that this Earth uh, command was used kind of like, uh, what did they, the Operation Pounce that they talked about in the 50s to where if there was any type of reported uh, crash uh, that pretty much the United States <clears throat> had worked out a deal with pretty much all nations that we would send a special team in because the crash retrievals are really quite dangerous. Uh, you know, people die. Sure. Um, so um, a number of stories uh, like that he shared. And did you have a question before I moved on? Well, I just, I'm curious about this Earth Command and where they're actually located. Are they South American or is this, are they located in these domes or how's deep underground military bases? Or do you know? I, I was not told where the command resides. I uh, I got the impression that it was sort of nomadic. It was not uh, fixed. So 
that's just my impression, but through the language barrier and all of that. Um, but uh, the this uh, this group is made up of people from all of the different nation, nations of the planet. It's it's like a uh, it was created uh, to protect Earth from um, uh, you know ETs and inner Earth people. He talks about as well. Um, he talks actually in detail about the group that uh, he, he says that there are a bunch of watched zones, usually mountainous areas um, where they know caverns are. In almost every case, there's some sort of either extraterrestrial or uh, inner earth being um, type creatures uh, or beings that are using that area. Um, he talked about uh, dealing with the beings that are uh, living or, or can, can they can be accessed through the Grand Canyon? Uh, the U.S. Army has, is all over that area. They, the entrances are um, guarded very, very closely because the group is uh, supposed to be. Uh, they're they're not our enemies, but they're not our friends. Is the way I was told that right. they, um, uh, if we come into their area, they act uh, very hostile. So that area is cordoned off, and the same group is connected deep within the Earth um, from the Grand Canyon area, and then another part pops up that they access uh, in the Amazon. Wow. Thank you. I, yeah, I've, I've heard there's numerous entrances in the Grand Canyon. Uh, I mean, a lot of them were closed off. We all know the Egyptian artifacts and all that stuff, and people that apparently... Uh, resided there at one point. Uh, that's part of the Hopi prophecy or the Hopi legends. But so we hear about that. But I didn't realize they were still active, as far as and then I just wonder how that works because people. That's a major tourist attraction. So how do they still have the army there, the, the military presence, and still keep this stuff all undercover? And it's interesting. Yeah, you know, um, the military is able to. Um, work inside national parks. So I don't know the logistics of it, but the army's been there for decades. I took my family when I drove uh, to Washington a few years ago. Um, you know, we drove and we saw, you know, so it's, uh, you know, it's prevalent. It's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you, you, you mentioned Antarctica. Uh, as far as getting briefings on that, is there any new information? Or is, was it just stuff that you already knew that he had the same intel? Well, some of it was, you know, stuff that I already knew. Um, he had actually been through the tunnels, dug through the ice that uh, I had had several reports of. Um, and the people I had were, were, was told that went through those tunnels were U.S. Marines. Uh, we heard stories from these people um, after I came out with information on the, uh, online. And um, he described the Aztec, you know, he saw the Aztec uh, ruins, looking ruins under the ice. And uh, so he, that was kind of a, a verification. And um, one of the things that um, he discussed was that they were brought in, uh, they wear these special uniforms that are um, almost mechanical but not in the way you would imagine they're very tight fitting suits but they make them stronger faster 
Um, they use them because they battle reptilians a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, so they were uh, inserted into a part of uh, Antarctica where uh, scientists had accidentally encroached into an area that was um, Fourth Reich territory. And the way he described it is that these scientists were being attacked by a mixture of a werewolf and a yeti. And oh. that, yeah, it, it, wow. he said they were six feet tall, bipedal, and obviously they were working on command somehow uh, because they would withdraw at the same time. They would split up and do different patterns that were not uh, of the intelligence of, of what this beast would be. It was too coordinated. And uh, they found out that the Fourth Reich had genetically engineered these beings uh, to guard uh, entrances to certain bases that uh, they roamed around and uh, attacked anything that got within a certain perimeter. And these scientists were um, having some pretty uh, amazing discoveries that they did not want to abandon that were a little bit into this territory. So apparently his uh, operation was brought in and inserted and they ended up doing uh, a little bit of, uh, not really battle with these things, but keeping them away while the scientists did the work that they wanted to do. So and that was, This was pretty, this was recently? Or do you know? No, this, this would have been back like two decades ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. A while back, yeah. I've, I've read about stuff at uh, very similar expeditions post-World War II. Uh, and them accidentally coming across during their excavations or whatever, their ex explorations across these German reptilian bases. And it just, uh, so it lines up with that. I just, so the Fourth Reich, I mean, so do you think that's still existing? Like what, what is still existing in Antarctica? Well, from his intel, that, that was all that he had um, of what was going on down there now. Uh, from my intel, yes, they're very much, uh, you know, still uh, op uh, occupying most of the same bases. They gave some of them over to this uh, interplanetary corporate conglomerate that I talk about. A lot of trading went on to, um, you know, allow Dark Fleet to uh, operate uh, pretty much under the skirt of everything else going on. Yeah, I was really curious to to know like how much of these underground bases, what's actually being taken out right now. We hear all of these rumors about these earthquakes being actual underground explosions and these battles taking place underground. Uh, I just didn't know if, if any of that information was even true or is that all hearsay? No, that absolutely has occurred, but not in the frequency, you know, the number that... Uh, you know, people talk about uh, online. There have been uh, certain bases that have been uh, either destroyed or breached, um, in, you know, in the last year, especially. Yeah, that's, so it's good. I mean, that, I think some of them are definitely not earthquake, earthquakes. People break down the seismic data and there's a difference between an earthquake and an explosion. So, and I just wonder if it's actually the base being destroyed or if it's actually just, a battle you're just hearing explosions from an actual battle like i'm i'm so fascinated by what's actually taking place under our feet every day 
it just blows my mind. Yeah, this uh, this new person we're calling Daniel, um, they had been spent extensive time under uh, in the caverns. They actually did six months or either six months or six weeks. I can't remember uh, in the language thing too. Um, training underground in these caverns and, and how to survive and how to battle and how to navigate them. And uh, he told us of numerous, um, sorry, dry yeah, fine. I'll do the same thing. He told, he told us of numerous battles that they had uh, with uh, reptilians and greys. And he said uh, they're both extremely aggressive, um, you know, when they're, when they're fighting underground. And, you know, typically he said for every reptilian that they are able to neutralize, they end up losing about six to eight men. And that's what they're wearing these uh, almost suits of armor. And some of the things he describes about the reptilians is different than uh, what I have seen and heard. Um, He talked about, um, you know, he described the armor that they wore and, um, you know, he described it as more of like exoskeleton kind of uh, um, armor that connects to them. And uh, he said their offensive weapon, um, they didn't carry a staff or any type of weapon, that it was something that was uh, engineered into their body to where it came out, I guess, kind of like Spider-Man instead of here, here uh, on, on the top of their forearm. And he said when they wanted to attack, they would do this and they would close their fist and then a plasma beam would shoot. And uh, he, he wow. said they would, you know, uh, they were very powerful plasma beams. Um, he said typically, um, he said they carried weapons that were very similar to conventional weapons. Um, and this might be, for, they may not be able to use beyond a certain type of technology while operating on the planet in case it falls into, um, you know, the eyes of the public. But uh, he talked about uh, special rounds that were, uh, you know, probably between, you know, a 223 to 308 that um, instead of gunpowder, they had like this white powder as the accelerant. And uh, when they would fire the weapon, uh, the uh, bullet went uh, several times faster than a conventional bullet. And that it was made out of a, uh, with the translation, he said a very hard uh, mineral. And uh, those would, he said, out of 30 shots, three would penetrate their armor. They, they'd have to take 30 hits to center mass, and, and three would maybe make it through uh, and uh, kill the reptilians. Wow. wow. Can, can you imagine? Like, how do, you, how do you train for something like that unless you know your enemy? So they have to be well aware of these, of their technology and what they're capable of. Otherwise, you're coming in blindfolded, basically. So, so are there training facilities that are specifically designed just for this? You know, that's a good question. And one of the things that kind of made me go, hmm, was because, um, you know, we're still vetting this person, but, you know, they're you know, you always have to figure out, is this person relating a story they heard or did they experience it, you know? Uh, so we're still vetting it out, but it's a lot of co- cooperation. Um, I'm sorry, what was... 
I, I was just saying, is there tra actual training facilities? Do okay. they know about their armor and yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah. What was strange is they knew about the armor. He knew about the armor, the weak places in the armor, and all of that. But when I asked him, uh, had he ever heard that uh, reptilians had a primary and secondary heart? And uh, he said that he had not heard that. And which is, you know, totally fine. They may just be given a kill box that they're told to go after. But you, typically I would think um, uh, a specialized uh, a warrior like that, they would teach you the physiology and weak points of your enemy. But uh, maybe yeah. not all, all of that doesn't matter with the armor. I don't know. But, you know, we're being, you know, we, ha we have to be very careful. It'd be very easy to bring someone in that has been given some information that I haven't shared that would hook me. And then, you know, uh, you know, then bad things happen. So uh, yeah. this person seems really genuine, but we've, you know, seen that before. Uh, we're vetting them out. We have, um, let's see, like three different people that are, are vetting out their military credentials and some of the other, other things that they told us. Um, you know, there was just one inconsistency and it was like at midnight or one in the morning when we were getting the information from them. They gave us a number of casualties that occurred in a conventional war that they claimed had an ET aspect to it. And uh, the numbers were just off on the, on the, uh, on the casualty count, uh, you know, fairly significantly. But uh, the, the battle in that area did happen, um, you know, but, you know, there, and this also was 20 years ago. So he's recalling over time. So we have to cut him a little bit of slack. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, we're, we're just vetting this person because, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, information comes in and it's too good to be true. And this is a lot of really very rich information, rich with details. When he talks about the crash retrievals, you know, he talks about, oh, that uh, the Grays crashed on this date in Brazil and uh, it was a 120 meter craft. And um, we brought our teams in and they... Uh, broke it into, cut it into pieces or put it on flatbed trucks and drove it off. And anyone who happens to, uh, according to these rules of engagement, at least 20 years ago, anybody who unfortunately witnessed it came walking onto the scene, seeing, you know, oh, look at this crashed UFO. They, uh, this military force uh, that he was a part of, they neutralized them. They, they killed them. There's to leave wow. no, uh, uh, chance of uh yeah kept a witness that doesn't surprise me at all at, at all actually it's funny what no it's uh, same we were uh, i was just at we were just at east seti and i had a really crazy experience dream while i was down there of, of watching the ufo space battle and one of them crashed like in walking distance from me and i ran to the craft and and saw all these ets inside or whatever but uh it makes me it makes me wonder now like yeah if that really happened and i did run up on a ufo on a crash retrieval would would it be a smart thing to do or do you just stay away it's um it's not a smart thing to do for a number of reasons um you don't want to be there when the military arrives no way but also there are a lot of different radiations that we're not even aware of different types of radiation and uh things in the air that you don't want to breathe. You can, uh, people have uh, come upon these scenes and collapsed and died, you know, within, you know, a few hours. Mm, wow. 
Yeah, that's good to think about because yeah, the excitement could take over and you're not thinking about any of that stuff. Um, so you, you said nine different ET races are in communication with South America right now. Was that part of the intel also? Yes. Well, this particular um, group that he was working with, he said they encountered nine different ET races. And some of them, he said, were related to um, Valiant Thor. Oh. Yeah, he said uh, they looked very human. He said they put in uh, contacts, but their eyes are a little bit bigger and, and the uh, corneas look a little different. Uh, he says, but it's, you know, not super noticeable. Um, he said that this group actually claimed to have brought human life to Earth and uh, they were within our solar system. And they're also... He told a very <clears throat> interesting story about the tall whites. He said uh, they were, his group was ordered to set up a perimeter because there was going to be a meeting from an off-world source. Well, he set up the perimeter and he was closer in, um, in towards the inner part of the circle of the perimeter when the craft came in and landed. And he described it as being hundreds of feet, very big craft. It landed and out came a tall white. And he described them as being about nine feet tall. And he said that his, what he was wearing, the equipment he was wearing was giving him all this data. Like, you know, the nine, three meters tall, you know, estimated weight. And I mean, he was getting all of this information in. And as it started walking down, the stairs or the uh, on its way down it stopped he says it raised its hand he said all, all of his men and everyone present they all dropped down to one knee and they couldn't move anything but their head like this and he said the being told them be calm i'm just here to have a meeting and i will be gone and then it walked down he said they sat there for like three hours in this kneeling position and with looking out of the corner of their eye to what was going on, the meeting that was going on. And then the being, as it walked by and walked up to get back into the craft, the power broke off of them. Uh, and they were able to stand up and they weren't, they weren't tired. Their muscles weren't all sore. And they were, he said he was extremely impressed because these suits were developed to help shield the uh, psychic energy and abilities of the reptilians and the grays that it attenuated it and, and did so pretty well they had to be very close to, to bust through it and he said for this tall white he called it to walk out raise its hand and have everyone drop to their knees wearing this type of protection he said was shocking to him i believe impressive and let me he just i forgot to describe he said the, um, the tall white, um, and I confirmed with him, I said, you know, was its hair, their hair is, each strand of hair is much thinner than ours. And uh, it's white and it, it has this weird translucent look to it uh, when they move their heads. And, uh, you know, he confirmed that and he said that it was wearing a kind of a long white robe with a collar that went up really high on it. 
and uh, you couldn't. I, I, he didn't describe its feet or shoes, but you know, he said you could see its hands. Wow. Wow. So that's, I mean, when you describe it, I'm just imagining like Hollywood ET stuff that we've seen. I mean, it's just so, it's fascinating to me. Do they have any idea of where they came from? Or they not? He, he, he didn't know uh, where specifically that uh, they came from. But what was very interesting is when I started asking him about what, do, what did you guys call these beings? He said, well, we would call them the tall whites, but the real, I can't remember uh, uh, the, I'm going to have the information to share, uh, but it was information I'd seen before about like the reptilians, they're known as like G176 or whatever, they're different, uh, they're always referred to in codes. They, you know, mm. they wouldn't say, oh, we got a reptilian attack, they would say a G476. Oh, you call that the alpha numeric code names. Yeah, and he has nine of and there are hundreds of them but he uh, he know the nine beings that he knows of he has the alphanumeric codes for them um and let's see what else did he describe he described the reptilians the grays and the tall grays you know, he was very adamant to say you know they're very different uh beings you know the, the tall grays um, or very different beings, and said uh, he had not seen a uh, insectoid, but uh, he had on a number of times underground, and uh, right after crashes, he had been in firefights with uh, the graves. I don't know whether it's the talls or the smalls uh, and reptilians. And he said that's the majority of the men that they lost were in those uh, exchanges. So is this? So this was all 20 years ago, right? This is what he was saying was from his experience 20 years ago. Correct. So I'm just curious, like as far as now, like I know at one point the planet was under a quarantine and these reptilians, nobody could leave. Is there still something going on to where they can't leave and they're stuck here? Or can, can they come and go freely? Or is the Space Force actually taking care of this on some level? Um, I'm told that there is a cordon that's still going on around our solar system that's preventing uh, not just the reptilians, but a number of ET groups preventing them from leaving before this solar event occurs. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I just yeah. wonder how many are actually going to be left by the time that happens, if these battles are taking place. Yeah, there, there are battles taking place. And we were talking earlier about, uh, you were asking about deep underground bases uh, being attacked. Uh, information that I had last year and I, I put out, there were um, uh, army and marine uh, forces that were called into fight uh, to penetrate the, some of these deep underground bases. And when they did so, they were told that they were going to uh, run into a lot of uh, just families that are being hidden of big criminals and you know they were just gonna have to go in and arrest these people there'd be light resistance once they got through all of the crap they had to blow up and get through um but some of them on the levels that they ended up uh, uh ingressing in or going into they um ran into reptilians and they had not been briefed that reptilians even existed uh these men did battle uh, and did and 
did not go super well for them. And uh, the men were not right in the head afterwards because they had no bridge at all between what they were going to run into and, you know, the judo, you know, the Christian background that they had, uh, many of them. Um, it was, you know, they, to them, they were fighting the devil and demons, and they just didn't understand what was going on. And uh, a lot of the uh, military groups that had those encounters um, had to have a lot of help. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you, yeah. Don't, you don't think about that because that's a major psychological mind fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you see something like that, if you might just frozen in fear. That term is real. You know, you might not even be an effective soldier anymore just seeing something like that. So it's interesting, you know, knowing what we know now, if I ran into something, I'd be like, oh, it's a tall gray or it's a reptilian or it's this, a mantis being. But somebody who doesn't have any reference point, yeah, that would be tough. And that's, a, that's an interesting point to bring up. I wonder how many, how many times that actually occurs. Good question. And it sounds like <clears throat> uh, ET crashes occur a lot more frequently than uh, we've been led to believe. Um, you know, he's, he's been on many of them and uh, often, uh, they, sometimes they are in conflict with another ET group. Uh, sometimes, uh, we brought them down. I mean, we're not going to be shooting down our allies like the tall whites or the Nordic groups, but, uh, the, uh, the graves and apparently the reptilian craft are open game. And, um, you know, I was, I was told, you know, that they use uh, uh, drones to shoot down these craft, uh, along with space-based weapons and ground-based weapons from certain areas. Um, so apparently, we shoot down uh, these craft uh, fairly often, and that was apparently what I was told. The case I was told about in Brazil, which would have to have been some time ago. Um, uh, but he's he's in contact with uh, some of the people from his former group, and and these crash retrievals happen on an almost regular basis. And sometimes these uh, um, ET groups mess up and just crash. Sure, yeah. I mean, I always wonder about the how if you know that's one of the big skeptics. That's one of their their big. One of the big questions for the skeptics is like, well, if they have all this advanced technology, why are they crashing? Like, but I mean, I'm sure there's electrical fields and magnetic fields that they might not even be aware of or that they're getting pulled into that's bringing them down. You know, there's so many different scenarios that could happen. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this person also confirmed uh, some things that I had heard about what uh, different groups are coming in and doing with us. Uh, this Arcturian race, uh, you know, he described them as being somewhat human-like with a little bit bigger head, um, bigger eyes, different kind of nose, and um, that, you know, they're a merchant race, that they're coming in constantly to trade with us. Uh, they're bringing in, like I've reported in the past, biological materials from other um, uh, solar systems, uh, technology and we're trading with them uh, constantly, uh, you know, and a couple, a couple of other groups that we're kind of in, in commerce with um, the, you know, the uh, tall whites have apparently given us quite a bit of technology to use to help 
fight against the reptilians in, in particular. Is that a tornado siren? What is that? Just saying? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think somebody started the blender. Oh. oh. <laughs> it didn't um, sound like a siren. I mean, it only makes sense that we're being gifted technology to help battle this. I mean, there's there's no way without any type of assistance, we would even be this far along as a civilization in general. So, I mean, that, that only makes sense. Uh, as far as, like you're talking about these races that were, that are trading with us and these merchant races and all this stuff. You had talked about like at one point during your 20 and back on Mars, they were, they were developing out a lot of this technology there, basically under slave conditions. Do you think that's still taking place there or has that, was that something in the program that might've been another timeline? Um, no, that's something that's still taking place as far as I know. Uh, you know, they, I don't know how much commerce is going in and out of the solar system right now with everything that's going on, to be honest. But I, the last I've heard that, you know, those places were still in operation or at least occupied. And what about the moon? Is I've, I've heard so many theories about the moon, like there's no longer like a Nazi presence, I guess, on the moon. And it's we've kind of the alliance has taken over that. Is there is there any truth to that? No, um, <laughs> kind of, the moon's kind of split up into different zones owned, uh, pretty much owned by different groups. Um, I've never really given a full briefing about the tour I was given inside the moon. Um, you know, I was taken to all of these deep. Uh, chambers that I don't know how to describe them. Uh, uh, inside the moon were a bunch of deep, a bunch of cavities, uh, like spheres, like perfect spheres. Uh, and they were in the shape of like the Merkaba in, inside the moon. Oh, wow. And in between each sphere were these long tunnels that had these, uh, the walls were kind of like, like square and then it got to wider square and it, it was kind of like a not really a triangle but it was kind of a weird shape um but it was a long tunnel that we had built trains inside of and i traveled inside of, of that and there was all sorts of uh debris there had been obviously major damage done to whatever this giant mechanism used to be and uh, they brought us by you know all of these all of these long tunnel type chambers there was damage in them and then you saw um, um like wiring and cup coupling coupling of uh almost looked like fiber optics running through uh through that was obviously modern that you know um, it had been worked on for a long period of time trying to fix something they were trying to restore some sort of energy conduit and we traveled into one of these giant spheres. I couldn't even begin to estimate how big they are. And the spheres all along the inside at one time had been covered in these slightly convex, what looked like mirrors, but they, were, they called them collectors. And they were uh, a gold copper alloy that was on top of a layer of some sort of technology. And these, were like almost like solar panels, the way they looked, and they were all along the inside of this sphere. And coming out of the side of the wall was a long, 
uh, almost like an arm that came out right to the middle of the sphere with a spherical um, um, mechanism that you know you could walk along inside it and out into this mechanism. And somehow it was collecting energy of some sort uh, from these shields. Uh, they were somehow collecting uh, subatomic energy or some sort. I, I really didn't understand. They're collecting some sort of energy that's not really in our frequency and channeling it into these spheres. And then they would come together. These beams would come together and they could use the energy to make this, make the moon travel or also operate. There was this big door that opened that had been broken millennia ago. It's broken and kind of in like that on part of the backside of the moon. And you can't really see it um, except for the bottom. And that um, door used to open and allow uh, uh, the beam to shoot out as a weapon as well. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I remember you also talking about you during that tour, on, I think on Cosmic Disclosure, you were talking about even seeing NASA, people in NASA uh, uniforms or coats or whatever. And that surprised me because I didn't think, I thought NASA was strictly a cover, but I guess there is an asset, a compartmentalized asset of NASA that is existing elsewhere. Yeah, this NASA type group, they would have been working with what we would commonly think of as a space force type group, the military industrial uh, level. So they see each other from, you know, their space station, they see them and flying around and they turn the cameras off when they fly by because they don't want to, you know, they're playing nice with them. Uh, they know about each other. Uh, every once in a while, some of the mili the secret military force would actually come onto uh, the International Space Station and vice versa. They would come onto the craft of, uh, of the uh, Space Command at that time. Um, but uh, they don't normally interact that much because um, they're separate. Um, kind, you know, pretty much NASA was created because the secret space programs had discovered some stuff on the moon that the Earth needed to know about, and they needed the Earth on a lower level of knowledge to start preparing this continuity of species plan to start putting 1% of their GDP into making these deep underground bases and bringing people from every country into each base to uh, they supposedly you know preserve each culture um, in order to get them to spend that kind of money and go through that sort of effort they had to scare the hell out of them and they had to let them know about this solar event that happens every 12,000 years and uh, you know the secret space program had discovered ejecta from the sun on the backside of the moon. It had formed these glass structures. And um, NASA even, uh, they even let NASA report back that they had seen something that looked like uh, alien, an alien city. But this was actually debris from sun ejecta from the last solar event. Um, they needed for, they needed to get this information down to, you know, the planet but in a way that didn't blow their operations. So that's what NASA was all about. That's what going to the moon was all about, to go and bring back some of that glass those, um, on the side of the planet they landed on, of the moon that they landed on. They mainly got the beads, but uh, 
a lot of the ejecta that they could take back and say, okay, take this with a lot of our old secret texts, religious texts that talk about the sun exploding. Now we're scientifically finding, you know, information here. Um, now we need to work together to survive as a species. So that was kind of what was done to get all of these countries to spend money in this continuity of species program. I guess the big question is, if we did have this technology back then, why were we developing these rockets? What, was that just part of the cover? Well, yeah. I mean, they if they were going to get people, conventional people up to make an unconventional discovery, they had to use all conventional resources. They had to use rockets. Um, they had to use the computers of the time, which, you know, they were like, um, you know, uh, the size of a yeah. room, you know, it's like a calculator, you know, the amount of calculating that it could actually do like a little calculator that we go and buy at Staples. Yeah. You know, so it was, it was really scary what they were doing uh, to get up into space. But even now they are keeping that illusion going. They're keeping the illusion that material sciences have just come a long way in the last 50 years, but uh, combustion engines, uh, you know, that we've, we've kind of hit our pinnacle. So, yeah, so so is, does that explain SpaceX? Is that just a, a continuation of this narrative, this cover? Or is something else going on with SpaceX that we're unaware of? Well, you know, companies like SpaceX are going to be needed because when this technology comes out, they're not going to give it to corporations. You know, you're not going to see FedEx with uh, um, anti-gravity planes flying around. That's not how it's going to unfold. Uh, you know, uh, the privileged few will know that it exists. The privileged few will be using it, but we won't have flying, you know, anti-gravity cars immediately. That's something that's going to take time to acclimate people to. But uh, the conventional, uh, cheap conventional ways of getting uh, things into orbit for a corporate level is still, you know, going to be a viable business in, in the future. Yeah. Well, it's just funny. I don't know if you watch any of those SpaceX launches, and twice now they've had that what they call the space mouse, which is clear. It's evident. You see this little mouse running around on the footage they show. So I think they're still showing us fake footage anyway. But yeah, I I saw that. Um, yeah, it was really odd. I mean, it's clearly not happening in space unless. I mean, it just doesn't make sense unless they're filming this somewhere else and. I don't know. I, I don't know. Does this explain, is Starlink really what we think it is? Is is it really for this 5G or whatever? Is there another purpose behind Starlink that you know of? There's always another purpose. Just about every commercial satellite that goes up has a classified payload of some sort. So, um, you know, sometimes a lot of these Satellite, they're just simply given a part of the uh, network that helps. It's kind of not kind of like LIDAR or radar that helps them detect craft coming in uh, or when anomalies occur uh, created by certain types of uh, stealth uh, technology. It creates an electromagnetic disturbance. And if they have those piggybacked on the satellites flying around, they're more likely to catch uh, that signature. So, I mean, they're all... There are all different types of piggyback uh, operations that occur with most commercial um, um, space flight. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, for, so the so I mean that could what we're told Starlink is 
might not even be the case. It, yeah, it's very possible. Or it could be the case, <clears throat> but um, they've made, uh, you know, they've kept about 20% of the payload kind of off the books. And that's, you know, uh, they're helping out, you know, the NSA or some other group. Do you know much about this this startup startup company that is developing the new Air Force One, the Exosonic or whatever they're called, is supposed to be using Mach 5 technology for the new Air Force One. Do you have you heard about that? No, I'm not I'm not okay. aware. Yeah, it's something that apparently is in development right now. Uh, <clears throat> no, but interestingly enough, um, I traveled with some very interesting people and interesting people there, very high military people retired and one of the people um their actual retired general uh, was you know telling us about how uh, air force how protected air force one is so it's you know protected from you know missiles protected from all all sorts of things so the tech he says the current air force one it looks like you know old old technology which i guess it is but the technology that they have in it and on it is, he says, amazing. So I can't. I'm, I'm sure it is. Like, I'm sure it is because, you know, I mean, Trump has to be protected just so much to still be alive, for one thing. Um, yeah. And if he's up there flying on an airplane, you know, they're. If he's not, that's a perfect opportunity for them to the deep state to take him out. So you know, they're gonna they're gonna. <laughs> make sure that's yeah. protected like unbelievably so yeah. yeah very very few airplane crashes or actual uh, accidents yeah 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 i mean well i think like that one when was it a couple of years ago the guy hijacked the plane and was able to just somehow knew how to fly this plane and flew in the shape of a q and whatever like, <laughs> oh yeah do you mean yeah. that you, you like remember that clearly not an accident um, yeah, so as far as um, wh what you talked about in Brazil, was there any new information you brought to the, I know you spoke on Inner Earth down there, correct? So yeah, you know, I, I talked about my last, uh, you know, most recent encounters. Um, a lot of what's been going on um, after <clears throat> I was brought down to their city for three days to where they were trying to teach me a lot but uh, I was not in the spiritual resonance to where I was going to be able to properly learn this type of information. It was going through my distortions and um, there are a number of uh, relationships and situations that were causing me to not just be in the right vibration. And I needed some personal growth in some certain areas. Um, some, I, and 2020 has given all of us the time for personal growth. Oh, yes. but, yeah. Yeah. But you know, I, there was a lot that I needed to, to do before I could go to the next level with them. And so since that visit, most of the interactions I've had with them have been coaching me, um, you know, coaching me along and uh, helping me through the process, <clears throat> burning off karma, um, working through certain distortions and traumas. Um, you know, so it's been um, a, a time of rapid growth, painful growth. But uh, I'm, I'm getting close to where I need to be for the next step of them to, to share 
more information about fourth density consciousness, the consciousness that we're ascending to. And at one point, by the way, I can relate to the growth because I've been dealing with some of that, some of that myself. At one point, you said that they had actually left inner Earth and they are existing in these like time bubble anomalies or whatever you refer to them as. Is that still the case? Are they back? No, <clears throat> they're still inside this temporal anomaly. Temporal, that's what you call it, yeah. And, and that's existing in space somewhere, or where would that be? In its own space-time. Okay. Um, you know, all of time is local. Um, you know, on uh, each planet, depending on the planet you're on, uh, the density of that planet uh, affects gravity in a different way. It causes gravity to twist tighter and, and go quicker. And gravity is the engine of time. So gravity creates time. Without gravity, there is no time. So um, they can create these gravitational temporal fields to where they can go inside of these fields. And for them, days, weeks may pass by. But for us, maybe thousands of years will pass by. Because they've created a completely different temporal um, uh, little reality bubble within uh, a larger uh, temporal reality. Yeah, I, I think that explains, I mean, that happens on a lot of different occasions as far as even somebody, an individual being taken and for like two weeks, what would seem like two weeks and they're only gone for like 20 seconds or even two seconds here and they're put right back into that same, they're kind of spliced back in. Similar concept to the 20 and back, but it's different so it makes yeah. sense and it would only make sense they're doing it all over the place yeah yeah time is uh, you know within um you know space is pulled in by gravity and space sort of reaches this termination point or density point to where it's not going in as, as easily it's piling in on itself and at that point gravity is still pulling and these little microscopic little twists little eddies are pulled down all around us it's going on these little microscopic uh, twists of time space time time space are going on all around us that's what holds us to the ground um, that's what's creating this flow of time and like i said on each planet that twist rate is slightly different a different frequency and time flows differently but what we've found out is within these the, each twist is also other dimensions. All, uh, not only is time local, but dimensions are local. Dimensions aren't out there everywhere. They're all inside the little, same little twist rate that is creating our space-time, is creating other space-times. And within these twist rates are other dimensions. We have space, uh, time is running backwards and uh, forwards, but even quicker at different rates in, in each direction within the, the twist rate of every little microscopic area around us. And, you know, our bodies are held together by these tiny little wormholes. Each uh, atom is held together by, you know, it's like a little planetary system. It's held together. And at the center of that atom, it connects through a tiny little wormhole into the cosmic web. And I've talked at length about the cosmic web. All you have to do is Google it to see how everything is connected through an electromagnetic filament, every galaxy, every star, and every planet within it. And that's how uh, uh, Stargate travel works. 
that's how a lot of other tribal works, but it's also how consciousness works. Uh, consciousness is all connected through this uh, uh, giant cosmic web. That's actually where the Akashic records reside. And, uh, but uh, all of it is fed through, as uh, these little twists are going down to the center of the earth, the mass, it's bringing all of that information into the center point of the earth that feeds into this cosmic web. And that's information is constantly being fed into the cosmic web, into the Akashic records. If only they could start teaching that in school. <laughs> we right. wouldn't all be lost. That's so fascinating. And that was a great explanation of it. And I know Michael Sala touches on the wormholes like every, I, I know he's, he speaks on that a lot. By the way, is yeah. that his book behind you on that shelf? It is. That's like the Red Dragon or whatever? Yeah, the Red Dragon. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. So like that would explain, like you said, all the dimensions are local. So that would explain like maybe the Sasquatch or something like that. When you hear them phasing in and out, they're just existing. Yes. So 5D, when people talk about 5D, that's basically just the next level up dimensionally from, from where we're at currently. I don't know dimensionally. All I know is that the bandwidth that it works at is the same bandwidth that are basically our consciousness uh, works at. It's not, so, so not, it's more consciousness. It's not like, like physically, we're not going to like blink out of here and go into another no. space. It's just consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's affecting uh, our consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always wondered that like some people claim that they're already in 5d and like none of this stuff that's going on right now, this virus, all that stuff, it doesn't affect them because they're in 5d, but I, but consciousness affects reality, so at the same time, you could say it's kind of the same thing. <clears throat> there is there is an aspect of yourself that's in 5D. There is an aspect of yourself that goes all the way up to the one infinite creator. You know, mm -hmm. each level of us, our, our higher self is us, all the way through the densities, connecting to the one infinite creator. That's a seventh, sixth, fifth, fourth density version of ourself, our consciousness that is repeat that is providing us opportunities for lessons and growth so to a degree yes if the more in, in contact you are with your higher self the more in contact and in resonance you are with 5d or whatever but physically you're stuck here with the rest of us you may vibrate or resonate into a higher density but uh you know we're, we're all here <laughs> but somebody yeah. could still punch you in the face and you'd feel it <laughs> yeah. yeah. About the whole like uh, our DNA. Three D, real quick. Yeah. Like the whole like uh, we're moving from the carbon-based to crystalline-based uh, structure and DNA. Um, you know, I don't know about physically. I mean, I know that as more strands of the DNA are awoken, a different frequency occurs, which allows for growth more of consciousness than anything else, and and connection with one another. All of the DNA turning into crystal and all of that, I, I haven't heard in the programs anything remotely like that. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, the awakening of the DNA is a very important part of, uh, I mean, it, it all happens in like a big chorus. The DNA starts to um, change and more strands awaken, which are basically antennas. We have more antennas and then we're in more communion with each other um, in a uh, mass consciousness sort of way, mm -hmm. which I'm told is like, you know, we talked about Eddie Seti, 
it's going to be confusing as hell to people. Telepathic and yeah, and you're connecting with yeah. people on an emotional level, and mm-hmm. you, know, you, you have third density understandings of things. You know, I was talking about how sexuality is really going to freak people out because you know we have third density understandings of why you have sex, why you procreate, and all of this, and then fourth density occurs, and then we're like, oh my god, what's going on? You know, you're all of a sudden you know people, you're connected with people in a different way, and your third density minds would be like, oh, that must mean we have supposed to have a physical relationship when the, that's not really the fourth density way it's just a third density way of thinking while experiencing the fourth density energies so yeah. we're gonna have to deal with more and more of that as confusion as well yeah i've heard that you know if, like if this let's just say this solar event solar event solar flash takes place and it's kind of like what we expect you know um we might all of a sudden be enlightened on some level but that's our consciousness our physical body is still going to have to make the transformation and it's not going to be easy is is that plausible you think that could happen and i wouldn't go as far as to say people are going to be enlightened as much as they're going to be confused Um, the small percentage of people that are doing the inner work and, and doing the spiritual work they're going to be more enlightened everyone else it's not like everyone's going to pop their hand out head out of the sand and go, hmm, I understand now. No, they're going to be thrown into chaos and uh, it's going to be a mess for a while. Fourth, the transition to fourth density, I'm told and shown, it's not going to be this everyone flying around singing Kumbaya. It's going to be people trying to figure out now how do we operate in this new way of consciousness, this new connect connectivity that we have. So it's going to be like a whole nother layer of like a dark night of the soul. Cause like right now we see the planet going through a dark night of the soul, but it's still only at a certain level. So I feel like once um, the ascension that starts happening more and more, or once the solar flash happens, it's going to be like a whole nother oh, uh, yeah. massive dark night of the soul for everyone who's not um, used to that. To Well, imagine, imagine, you're the normal person out. Uh, you've rationalized all these different behaviors. You're you're doing all. You're a good person, but you're doing all of these things that are you know are kind of iffy. Mm-hmm. And uh, this solar flash occurs, and then all of a sudden you go from having that sort of a consciousness to having more of a Christ-like consciousness, like a loving, connected kind of thing, to where you see how you've violated free will here. You've re- violated free will here, manipulating or doing this, or you know, taking here because you deserved it or whatever. And you go through a rapid processing of karma because you have a different understanding of that mindset. But you also are going to have to break cycles, ways of thinking. Um, yeah. It's that is often going to cause a dark night of the soul. It's like clarity is a good way to put it. I guess you have a whole new clarity on yourself and, and everyone else. And reality in general, well, I guess. I mean, that's what. Go ahead. Well, I, I mean, I was told, you know, everybody's had it wrong. You know, that at the end of an age, um, this energy, the preceding part of the major energy that causes this ascension, is what they refer to as the Christ consciousness uh, part of the energy, and that energy sweeps through before the big change occurs. It's a little bit of an attenuated, weaker version of the big change energy coming through. And this energy comes through, and it's not somebody on a horse with a sword. 
you know, coming to judge. It is an energy that forces each of us to judge ourselves because yeah. you know what? We do have the, we are the judges of ourselves because all we are, if these beings are correct that I've been talking to is that I've described how the one infinite creator wanted to understand duality from every possible perspective. So into all of our, every consciousness, everything that could possibly experience anything in this universe is a spark of that one infinite creator wanting to understand duality in every possible way. So us coming and, and as we uh, go through these consciousness evolutions, we go to fourth, fifth, sixth density, seventh density, and then we return to the one infinite creator, bringing all of that experience back with us. And that's what the ascension process is all about, is to return to the one after being going through the learning process of being uh, these egos, this uh, illusion of separation from the one. So when we are forced to judge ourselves, we who, who better to do the judging? Yeah. yeah. And I think anybody who's listening to this, who's tuning into this right now, understands that already understands that on some level because an awakening for me has been me judging myself every day and uh, and it's just been in the path of self-discovery finding out who i am even like because the first 30 years of my life i had no clue well few are willing to do that though i mean i have met so many guru types uh that a lot of people look up to i've met people i mean just so many people they they have all of this knowledge to do make these wonderful changes, but they, most of them don't apply it. Uh, there's this, I don't know, there's this, you know, percentage of people that are not able to look inwardly and able to make the changes as brilliant, you know, uh, as they may be and, you know, knowing yeah. all of the answers. And a lot of that isn't everybody's individual, it's not their fault because of the system and the distractions and the programming. Uh, you can be smart and now and have a lot of knowledge in a certain area like what we're talking about but as soon as you go back to work if you have a 3d job that consumes your mind now you're thinking about work you're thinking about i have to pick my kids up from school all this stuff and then you get sucked back in and you forget about all this amazing stuff you just learned and that's part of the trap yeah i agree yeah so that's that's part of it uh, I just want to shift gears here a little bit before we start wrapping up. Um, I know at ESETI you had some briefings about Q and Flynn, Flynn being allowed back into the briefings or the meetings for the first time since Trump's inauguration. Have, has any more information surfaced about that as far as General mm -hmm. Flynn specifically? No, but ironically, <clears throat> I was very disappointed. My internet was down. And I was out of communicado, and I missed a major briefing yesterday um, <clears throat> by people connected uh, uh, to um, Flynn's network. Oh and man! So I, I missed a pretty big um, meeting. Um, I, I heard they were uh, they were excited. So I'm hopefully I'll get some, at least a bit of what I missed. But uh, no, most the, the I it's going to be my first really good briefing after coming back from Brazil. Oh, okay. We'll call them up right now. We'll just do it live. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the briefing. And as far as, I know you had uh, some information about Q and you, you had mentioned there potentially being 17 
members or the actual team itself? <clears throat> yeah, I said, oh, I, I, what I'd heard is originally um, uh, President, uh, President Trump was approached bef- uh, to, to run for president by, I believe, three generals and an admiral that told him, listen, this stuff's as bad as you've heard. Um, if you don't run, we're going to do something drastic. And he agreed. And uh, those same military people that I mentioned, and, you know, uh, you know, a total of 17 people uh, created what uh, the, the um, program that would be Q. Uh, so that those people operate in their, you know, cell bubble and they report information to the Alliance, which I get briefings from, and they trickle out information, sometimes related, sometimes unrelated through QAnon, because that information is to inform the public in a way that makes them want to dig and find the information themselves, because mm-hmm. they know when you do that, you own it. No one can tell you it's yeah. The- but also they use it to deliver information to operatives in the field in weird code sort of ways. So it has a multi-tiered um, sort of, um, you know, purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know some of those drops are not meant for the public. There's just no way. I'm like, clearly this is some type of comms going on. Yeah. And, and what's funny is the people that break it down and come up with all these theories on what it means when it might actually just be a specific code or something for a, a team somewhere, you know, waiting for their. Uh, but you see how effective it is. You have your QAnon people that are saying, "Wow, there's definitely a code there," and they spend all this time and all their resources trying to figure out what that code might be. Well, so does the enemy of the alliance. Whenever something cryptic like that comes out, sometimes they put out just cryptic nonsense, just because they know that some you know, team is going to have to spend hours and hours in a lab going through it, using their time and resources on that type of uh, information. So, I mean, th- this stuff goes so deep. There are so many counterintelligence types of uh, um, things going on. It's like psychological warfare just as much as it is Absolutely. physical war. It's, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. Well, that's why all these dates that Q has delivered in the past, some of them, are just probably just purely to throw off the enemy. I'm sure. They, yeah. It forces them to prepare for this date. Even though there might not be anything coming, they have to put their energy into being ready. And it, it, it might be, you know, a date might be up, but uh, it, there might be a code that says, okay, um, there's a secondary code if you take, uh, if a date pops up, if you take the second digit in each one, and take it and put it into this pin device, and then it unlocks the code. So it, a date could just be a way to disguise putting some numbers out for a code. So, you know, people out there in the QAnon world, they really don't know how counterintelligence works, and they start looking for, you know, demons under doilies and all sorts of big, grand things, when a lot of times it's very a very simple uh, explanation. Yeah, and a lot of people yeah. get upset about that. They, they get these expectations based on, people's research and their theories, it's really, it's dangerous sometimes. It's not helpful. It, it, it is dangerous, but disinformation and these types of things are also helpful to the Alliance. Because like I said, for every QAnon person that, 
that is trying to unlock these things, there are deep state, uh, at least one deep state operative. And the more of those people that are locked up, um, you know, chasing ghosts, um, you know, the fewer resources they have to make life difficult for the Alliance. Yeah. And is there any information on the amount of, of people leaving the deep state or the cabal and joining the Alliance right now? I mean, they have to have people acting as double agents on some level or, or something has to be going on. It's not just all black and white. Well, Actually, yeah, I mean, that's one of the biggest problems of what happened last year. I mean, I even had some issues with some of the people myself. You know, there were a lot of compromised people or double agents that were coming into the alliance that were causing, I mean, just some serious problems. And that's one of the major reasons that briefings shut down, uh, you know, last year, you know, to a wide degree. You know, they used to, they would have uh, uh, bridge calls. To where you know someone important would call into a certain bridge number and uh, you know put it on their speakerphone and then on their cell phone allow one person or a couple people to kind of listen in when they're not supposed to. Often I had had briefings like that. I hate to say, but uh, those uh, bridge calls were shut down, and then that's when a lot of just oh last year there's been so much disinformation coming out. I mean I've tripped over some myself. It's you know, you have these, you know, generals, admirals, colonels, and people that are used to, you know, getting major briefings, having all the intel. They're used to, you know, all of the people around them coming to them for the information. It's kind of a, an ego kind of thing as well. When all that information cuts off, well, these, a lot of these people, they'll sit around and just kind of, you know, there's a little bit of information coming out here and there, and then they'll speculate and they'll, and it, and it, then the information's delivered as though it's a briefing instead of, you know, a, a speculative type of briefing. Yeah. So a lot of that happened in the last year. It caused a lot of uh, disinformation and a lot of people lost trust with their sources because of it, um, which caused a lot of damage. But the infiltration into the Alliance was pretty significant and, and it caused quite a, bit, quite a bit of damage. But a major purge has been going on. That's great. That's great. So this this intel that you had about the, the time travel, like the ETs being all time traveling, us time traveling from the future, the ETs are just us from the future. Do you think that narrative is still going to play out on any level, or was that just also yeah. part of the disinfo? No, I mean, I'm told that that's going to be a very big part <clears throat> of the disclosure that they give that we're going to see more and more scientific articles coming out talking about time travel, which we've actually seen. Yeah, I did. So they're going to start trying to, you know, because most people, we've just now understand, you know, the vast distances of space and how some celestial mechanics work, you know, as a consciousness. Very few understand how time works. And, um, you know, and so they're trying to kind of get the consciousness kind of prepped for a lot of time travel sorts of things. And what they're really going to say is that, uh, you know, uh, since, you know, 1950, we've been working with a, uh, uh, U.S. military group in the future. Um, they say we have to keep it secret until we get closer to the year that they exist. And then it's just common knowledge, you know, then we talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So all these years that we're living in now leading up to this like 2020, let's just 2027, let's just say it. That's not a real date I've heard. But let's say that that's where all of the, um, you know, the headquarters for the people I even worked for, let's say that they're, in, you know, in the future because we're all pulled out of space time. Um, eventually, as we get closer to 2027, they're going to have to release more and more information to get us ready you know, because the time has has caught up to where it's no longer people from the future. It's now people from the present. So that's what I'm told that they are briefing a lot of uh, military and even presidential people on is to explain to them, yeah, they're they're, the UFOs that we're seeing are mostly our craft in the future causing a temporal butterfly effect, a temporal anomaly. And sometimes things happen and they pop through into our time period and crash and we just have to secure that and get the uh, wreckage and technology away and hide it from the public because we can't contaminate the timeline. You know, it's, it's this big uh, kabuki kind of dance that I'm told yeah. has been going on. Yeah, it's, that's unfortunate if like Trump, if that is the briefings that Trump has been getting or whoever. Well, he, he, he doesn't get, he, uh, Trump gets meetings from a lot of different perspectives. I mean, that may be a briefing that he got, but he's also had people come in and brief him about ETs and aliens and that sort of, sort of thing. He's gotten different types of briefings about our secret space program that he wasn't really supposed to get, but they weren't going to give it to him. So different people leaked it to him or gave it to him. So he gets information in a multi- multitude of ways. He's not going to form an opinion just on that one briefing. That's great news, actually. Uh, yeah, because I, I wondered how that would work. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what this what happens after this election. Uh, by the way, do you think that they were using voice of God technology on Biden last night? No, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they have very uh, good microphones that they can inject into your ear right here. It's kind of like a tiny little implant into your ear. That's what I heard. I wonder yeah. why then, because they there's a video that shows he had a wire that popped out of his jacket and then there was also a device popping out of his sleeve yeah, so good mic. You, but i don't know why he would need but yeah why would he need that if he had but maybe they just did that as a backup or something or um, or that was just a total decoy or that was a decoy a decoy device and they were like oh no this they, they're going to come out and prove this was what it was and then really the really technology yeah was could be because I read an article that said that he was working through it, potentially working through a chip that might have been enhancing this voice of God type of technology. No, it's, it's kind of like Bluetooth, okay. it, like hooked to a device in his pocket and uh, this little size of a grain of rice speaker uh, would go right inside the, the skin of the ear, uh, this little flap mm-hmm. of the ear. Yeah. And what also it, appreciate it was a clone. Yeah, I was just going to say, what, <laughs> new are you, clone. what are your thoughts on the potential, like the reality of clones being used right now for these, like Kamala Harris and well, Biden and stuff like that? Well, clones are widely used, um, and they have been for a while. Um, the only drawback is if you clone, uh, let's say if someone uh, came in the middle of the night and like made five, you know, took your genetic material and went off and created five of you, to uh, then, you know, they would train to do, you know, different tasks. Well, 
if something happened and one of one of your clones died in a in a spacecraft explosion, uh, another one was killed by some sort of a uh, bunch of carnivorous insects on a planet, and and all of these traumatic things occurred to your clones that uh, feeds back through consciousness to the actual person, and they start having all of this crazy PTSD. Uh, they get suicidal. They have all sorts of issues. Um, you know that that was happening. Um, you know, like for you know, people, if you happen to be a star and somebody, you know, wants to do something crazy to you and they're in these programs, they could have a clone of, of that person that they do all the horrible things they want to do to, and then just dispose of the clone. Well, that energetic trauma feeds back through to this, uh, to the, uh, you know, the, um, the person that's not the clone. So wow. there's a lot of, uh, they ran into a lot of issues. It took them a while to figure it out because they stopped using a lot of 20 and back people pulled in as much, uh, mostly from the military they still did, but uh, they started cloning people and using them uh, in warfare and for certain things. And uh, the, the clones began having just, uh, you know, just psychological issues. Yeah. Wow. I, I actually wasn't aware of that. I've done a lot of research on clones, but I didn't realize that anything happening to the clones affects the original person. To a small degree, to a small degree, it feeds back, but it builds up. And if you have multiple clones going through all these different things, it, it can cause, um, you know, some major psychological issues. All right, one last question, and we'll wrap this up. Do you think, are 20 and backs still taking place? Or is this still a current program? Yes, yes, it's... Uh, each star system has its own, like a planet, they call it like a Kronos planet that sets this clock in, in their planetary system. Ours happens to be Saturn, and uh, Saturn uh, has some weird cycle that causes, uh, uh, creates the situation that we can exploit to create 20 and backs, where you're creating these different uh, time anomalies to pull people out of and work with them. Um, and we were uh, taught how to do this by uh, Nordic race. And that's still going on. So the potential of people living or, or participating in 20 backs right now is very high. Military people, I guess. Yeah, mostly military. Um, mostly military. They, they rarely pulled people uh, out like myself that were not in the military. You had to have... Uh, had a coveted ability sure. for them to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been amazing, Corey. Thank you so much. I mean, we oh, covered a lot. Can, can I talk about some of my projects? I was just gonna. Oh yeah. I was just gonna ask you about that. Yeah. Okay. Please, cool. Tell us about it. Yeah. Um, the for three years, I've been working very hard to get a graphic novel out. Uh, we ran into a whole just host of issues, but we brought on a uh, writer, Richard Hamilton. He's, uh, he's written, uh, he's a script writer as well. He's written uh, some well-known scripts, even, you know, for animated series like How to Train Your Dragon. He took the graphic novel, totally rewrote it. Uh, we have Steven and a couple of other artists that are hitting it really hard right now. And uh, we're going to have that out very soon. Uh, the uh, script has turned out great. And now the art is getting knocked out. So we're super excited um, about that finally coming out. 
And then the only, uh, the main thing I have going on are, are my courses that I'm doing. We had, um, you know, at acceleratingascension.com, uh, we had, you know, thousands of people take the course, love the course. It did super well. Um, we have the new course coming out, uh, the Blue Avians and the Law of One, where I'm going to talk about the Blue Avians and how they uh, relate to the Law of One and how that, what that information was meant for us as a species. And uh, if people want to check that out, they can go to uh, ascensionworks.tv, and that's where uh, you can find both courses there. Really. And yeah, ascensionworks.tv is so. Is that actually active, or is that still in process? Is that still it's, working? No, it's active. It's active. It's going to eventually become a streaming platform. Um, I'm talking to a number of people about doing their own shows, but we have cool things coming, like uh, high up people that were in the military that are going to teach us things like survival, teach women, you know, tactics of, you know, because in time madness, it's getting crazy out there, you know, teaching women how to be more confident about security. Um, a lot of different things like that. There's, there's going to be a lot of really cool things, um, you know, uh, at ascensionworks.tv. But uh, on another topic, um, I've been working with uh, Jenny McCarthy. Um, she's awesome. She is basically tribe if you were to ever have a conversation with her she's one of us she's yeah just, you know, i could i could tell from that interview that yeah. she did with you and david oh, i got that impression awesome. she knows what's going on definitely yeah yeah she's you know she's been a, a really big help to me and um you know she's uh got come on as executive producer for a couple you know docuseries uh, ideas that i have and, and some other work that i've been doing uh getting the graphic novel when it's completed to a major publisher um you know she's made her uh, you know managers and uh, uh, wme agents you know uh, you know available to help me she's been amazing um and uh, you know it, it's things are looking really good for us to get a uh, a series out that is basically going to allow me to reproduce all of my uh, testimony that i've given in the past uh, most of which is not available now, um, but you know it's going to give us an ability to deliver it to a much larger audience and a much larger platform, um, which in turn is going to bring more eyes to the community as people wake up and hear the information, and more people come and you know watch your show and, and other and other people's information. Yeah, and then they're, they're really going to shit whenever they discover all this information two years from now, and then they're like. Oh my God, he's been talking about this since 2014, 2015. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot, a lot of people are going to have uh, a problem explaining, you know, how all of the all of this information that I brought forward has has come to be. But a yeah. lot of it has already. A lot of it yeah. has. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's where all of us come in. Everybody who's out doing something in this community and for this movement, um, for these people that are going to be discovering this stuff down the line. Uh, they're going to be turning to people like us for questions, you know. Mm -hmm. Undoubtedly. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's more of this. I mean, we're delivering, you know, uh, you know, other movie ideas and stuff that are basically like, you know, a metaphysical matrix. That information that you can get out. <clears throat> I mean, the information about my life story, I mean, it's fascinating, you know, from a cinematic point of view and from a content point of view for like a docu-series or something. And, you know, People may watch it as entertainment, but, you know, that information is getting out and to them. So, um, you know, I've 
I've been really pushed and led to start using media as a way to get this information out to have an effect on the mass consciousness. You know, because, you know, just preaching to the choir, like many of us do on, you know, small networks or little groups, you know, it's great work, but we're just preaching to the choir. It's not getting out there. So Mm -hmm. it's great because I'm going to be having my little preach to the choir network too. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. You know, I'm going to have that, you know, going, but also finding ways to get the information out onto big networks and uh, seeding the consciousness that way. And it also brings new people in for all of our, um, all of our work. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we do, there are, the echo chamber is a real thing and that's happening all over the place. But I do, we can't discredit that and discount that because people are drawn to that. People are guided to that. And it's growing. It's growing. Even if it's an individual, one person at a time, uh, even though it is preaching to the choir, the choir is getting, is growing. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need to grow the choir. Yeah. Well, Corey, this has been amazing. Uh, We covered so much that new information was fascinating. All of it was actually, it's been so long since I've, I've heard you talk about even the stuff about the moon and all that stuff. So I think a lot of people will enjoy this. And I just want to thank you again for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. And I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, I'm glad you're going to be breaking some of this uh, new insider information. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, we're definitely excited. Honored, thank you. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I'm going to do an interview uh, with one of the people that is helping disseminate the information that introduced me to this insider. I'm going to do an interview with him on my channel, and uh, I will put you guys in contact with him as well because it will be an equally fascinating um, interview as to what we just had today. Oh, that'd, wow. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. that'd be great. That'd that's be amazing. It's exciting. Thank you. Yeah. That's my it. thank you for having me on and, <laughs> and helping me break this info. So, well, I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you so much. We'll definitely stay in contact. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap this up. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for all the support, the donations. It means everything. Uh, we couldn't do it without you guys. And you know that. Um, and, you know, we just want to show Corey some gratitude again for putting himself out there. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all under attack right now. So it's not easy. It's not easy even being alive right now trying to do this work. So um, thank you. Thank you for your support. It means everything. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great night.